You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your very, uh, well, I have a man cold. My name is Andrew Lowen, and I am your sick host, but I'm doing this anyway uh, with the help of my awesome co-hosts, Sexy Hour Sean and SEO Wizard Richard. King Richard. Who? This was a quote dedication. We're doing this because we know you want that content and we I, I can't help myself. Got to give you guys. We try hard. Yeah. On this week's episode, we wanted to talk about something that uh, was a little bit different. I know that a lot of people want to listen to our podcast for our firsthand marketing experience and, and that sort of thing. But we wanted to give a little bit of a, a different type of firsthand experience um, that is totally relevant to crowdfunding and to running a business and 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 that sort of thing. Uh, we actually wanted to talk about the business books that have been really influential on us and that actively, sh- well, that shaped the way that we think. So you might get a lot of recommendations out of this podcast, but we wanted to talk about kind of the business books that have been quite influential on my development as a marketer and a, I guess, a, a we'll just say a leader. And the epic reading list of marketing Kickstarter board yes. games. Number one. Actually, who wants to start? I know, Sean, you had a big, fat, long list. I, yeah, I've got some. But I'm interested to see what Richard has to say. I, well. I got some too, but I got I to gotta pull up my Amazon, my Amazon reader. Hold yeah. on. <laughs> see, Richard reads a book like every other day. He finishes a book. However, I read a lot of junk. I'm like, you know, I'm a sci-fi fantasy junkie, so I read a lot of... Uh, role-playing books so they I just fill my mind up with <laughs> junk i just finished the arthur c clark base odyssey okay. series so i got through that you survived i survived oh. it was pretty long-winded i have to be honest a lot of times in there i wanted to quit <laughs> seriously but i stuck it i stuck it through got it yeah done. i remember reading city in the stars by arthur c clark and that was tough just because i don't know it was uh i think i was 10 <laughs> so that's probably the first <laughs> reason it was tough yeah it was one of those things that I just, I felt like, I don't know, maybe more modern things just are a little bit more appealing, you know, reading. Um, so I read uh, on, on fantasy, like all of us read fantasy. I actually think it's really important to read fantasy, especially if you design fantasy games, because uh, if you want to crowdfund fantasy things, you need to know what people like, you know, but I feel like, you know, reading Lord of the Rings, I, I finished the return of the King, which completed my Lord of the Rings trilogy. I, I went through nerd. <laughs> yes. I went through fellowship of the ring and then the two towers and I just couldn't handle it anymore. I had to like take a break and I switched. I read, um, what's the guy's name? Brandon Sanderson's stormlight archive and another Brandon Sanderson book called Steelheart, which were amazing. I came back from, you know, the fourth book of the stormlight archive to return of the King which is, I mean, an amazing book, but man, is it slow compared to what we read or what I, what I read before. And it was so hard to get through. It's like, from what I'm used to, it's like, man, the, the quality and the, the imagination and other things like that. I just, the style of writing really, it's like old English into, you know, modern day. It's just so different. I just picked up the uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, space trilogy. Didn't realize he wrote a space trilogy so i'm excited to jump into that but it has a forward by tolkien and what's interesting is tolkien actually said that he was saying that you no know, we never thought that we would become these literary 
giants that they sold themselves as amateur writers, which is pretty amazing since they sort of define genres and really change the, the literature landscape. So I thought that was really interesting how they basically approached this as, oh, this is like a hobby of ours for amateurs, but they <laughs> define the whole genre of literature. So that's, that was really cool to see. That's awesome. You know, it's interesting because I, I really don't know a whole lot about J.R.R. Tolkien, but I will say that C.S. Lewis is an extremely well-read human being. I mean, that guy was, I mean, I think until he was 27. Screw tape letters are pretty dope. Oh yeah. That was actually quite influential on the development of Deliverance, you know? Oh yeah, I imagine so it would be. Yeah, it's yeah. a good one. I read that. It's fun. It's two demons having a conversation. All right, let's get into these leadership books. I know, Sean, you had this one. I'm going to just uh, lead with it. It's called Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. Oh yeah. Brian Tracy has written tons. I have tons of his books. Also, he's done a lot of lectures. Um, for those of you that have Audible, um, he actually, some of his lectures in his, his master classes are available on Audible for like one credit. And these are like 20 hours of master class. Wow. So uh, just side note, uh, great author. He's written tons of books and he's got a lot of lectures available as That's well. That's awesome. This guy is somebody that actually became successful without writing books. Like he is, um, at, which is different than another author on my <laughs> list. So yeah, eat that. Frog. Well, he started. He he he's the he's yeah. He started off as the uh, what do you call it? The uh, it was it was one of those stories where he started off poor and broke and worked his way up in sales. Um, so his big thing was sales, and then from there he went to other things like real estate and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah. So what 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 are your thoughts on uh, eat that frog, Sean? Yeah. So it's basically a book about priorities, and the, the premise is that if you had to eat a frog every day, uh, it would probably be the worst thing you have to do that day. And so his philosophy is, well, eat, eat the frog first, and then everything else will seem easier. So the concept is that we all have things to do during the day, and some things have greater reward, or they, they bring us to our goals. And usually it's those things which actually produce the, the highest yield, I suppose, to our, our goals, are usually the things we procrastinate on because yeah. they're the hardest things. They're harder to do. Uh, so his, his whole premise, his whole philosophy is to do those things first, which would then kind of put you into like a work mode and it would be easier to do subsequent tasks. So from this book, I, I just developed a system that I still use today of prioritizing. So I start every day by just having a to-do list. I use Google tasks to do this and I separate my day into three parts. I have morning work, afternoon work, and evening work. And I just write everything that I need to be, need, need to do that day. And then I prioritize it within those sections. So do the most important things first and then deprioritize them as the day goes down. And then if I don't have enough time to do them in the day, I then stick it to the next day mm -hmm. and then reevaluate on the next day. And that's, that's sort of what I do to sort of get things done. And it's, it's proved itself to be very useful just in staying organized and making sure every, every task gets done because sometimes you get so many emails coming in from different locations that it's easy to, to let one slide. But as soon as I can read and I don't even have to respond, I can just write a note. Okay, this needs to be done. I can then come back to it later. So that's how I use it in my day-to-day -day life. And it's a, it's a great book. I recommend that people get their hands on it and read. It's a very easy read, very short read. So that, that one's definitely worth picking up. Awesome. Yeah. We, we probably should say that we're not being sponsored in any way. Yeah, we're not books. being sponsored by Brian Tracy. We're not getting paid tons of money by Brian Tracy. I will sell out in a second if Brian Tracy will give me millions of dollars to do that. Um, on the topic of uh, Eat That Frog, there's another author, and i sorry, I can't remember the name of the author because I read so much I can't remember crap. But the author had a had his, his view was take a timer 
and set it for 10 minutes. And he said, start working on that project you don't want to work on. And he says, just your goal is just 10 minutes. He says, once that timer goes off, if you're in, you know, if you're in your, your zone and you're working, just keep going. He's all, if not, stop and then try it again later. However, though, eat that frog. I would, I would rename it to uh, pay someone else to eat your frog and talk about uh, <laughs> outsourcing or paying someone to do your dirty work. <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. Sometimes <laughs> it's hard to do something just because, you know, like I had mentioned in last week's podcast, I was a little bit too close to the to my deliverance project to do the ads effectively. And I found that by, you know, when I, when I brought Sean in to, to help me, it, it just changed a lot. So it was very helpful. You know, there are two things that I wanted to say in regard to eat that frog, the, the uh, methodology that I developed from eat that frog that I, that I use to this day is my day. I tend to be a more disorganized person just on my own. I have to do a lot to get myself organized. And one of the things that I do is based on my list of tasks. There are a lot of things that tend to come up in our day-to-day operation that require my attention. And I can't really plan for those things. I just have to plan. I have to like a lot for, I have to a lot time for those things to happen and uh, still get my things done. So I have a list of three frogs, I call it, that um, I need to get done. And I try to get those frogs done right away, those tasks that I don't want to do or the most important tasks of the day. I list them into three. And a lot of the time it's, it's funny, you know, but I finish one by like 10 o'clock in the morning and then it, it's like 4 PM and the other two still remain undone. It's like, Oh my goodness, I need to do these things, you know, before the end of the day. And as somebody said, somebody smarter than me said, you know, if not for the last minute, nothing would really get done. It helps a lot to, you know, say, I need to get these three things done today. And that would make today a success, you know, regardless of Mm -hmm. all of the other things, those three things would make today a success. And so there was um, an author and I can't remember who it is now. It's funny. I read a lot and I, I feel like I can't remember any of it, but there's an author that's a very famous author. I don't think it's JK Rowling, but it's somebody that writes fantasy and whatnot and is very, you know, very well known like that. Their goal is to write a hundred words. So a hundred words per day, if they sit down and they write a hundred words and they are just not feeling it, not inspired, they, they're allowed to be done for the day, done writing. And sometimes they sit down and write a hundred words and then, you know, 5,000 words come out and it just, they just make like a ton of progress. And, um, so I think that that's, that's awesome. It's basically like sit down and get started and you'll, you know, you might just find out that you know, six hours later, you're just completely focused on what it is that you want. And a lot of the time for me, my creative energy really comes out after I get, I I just feel like, you know, uh, for example, I have to do, I do have to do a lot of creative writing for deliverance and it's kind of hard to do. You can't just sit down and then start writing and then have excellence come out. It's a weird process that I go through. It's like, it always tends to be at like three or four o'clock in the afternoon when I finally start, you know, this, I don't know, this creative juice all of a sudden starts flowing. And by the time I get into it and into the writing and I just want to continue, it's like time to, you know, make my kids dinner and, and I, you know, I have to be done. It's a, it's a weird process, but it, it happens at strange times. And in 
those cases, sometimes I'll ask my wife, hey, Christy, take care of that. And I will be down as soon as this moment is passed, because sometimes you have to strike while the iron's hot and you can't always plan for those things. So I find that's that's always been quite influential on me and kind of related. I can't remember where this came from, but there's this matrix called the urgent important matrix. Have you guys ever heard? I, I think it's called the Eisenhower matrix. It's been used in quite a few okay. books. Um, is this is this where you do like uh, not important, important yeah. and like the and urgent, not urgent? The, uh, urgent yeah. So yeah, so that's something that we could probably talk about as well. But I, I tend, you know, I mentioned that I am a little bit more like I, I like more chaos in my workday. I don't know why. It's just the type of the methodology that I just am comfortable with is that when stuff comes up, I, I like to focus on that and then get that thing done. And then the next thing and I get that thing done. And I find that there are certain things that are, you know, I. I call them my my three frogs for the day that are that are very urgent and very important. You know, so there's this this matrix. It's got urgent and not urgent on we'll say the x axis. And then the y axis has important and not important on it. So it divides this square into four quadrants and all of your tasks that you might experience throughout the day will fall into these four one of these four boxes. It's either, you know, it's urgent and important which means you've got to do it now. Uh, some, you know, that might be a phone call from, you know, your your spouse or something like that. And then stuff that's not urgent and not important. That, like, let's say an a spam email. You know, for me that would be a spam email. Um, but very critically, there are these two other boxes. Something that is not urgent, but very important. And then something uh, conversely that is not important at all but very urgent. Those two boxes are things that we really, oftentimes things that are urgent but not important uh, would be like a phone call from a number you don't recognize when you're in the middle of a task. You only have a few moments to answer that call or you're going to, you know, you're going to miss it, but it might not be important because they can leave a message and you can get to it later. If you're working on a very important task, then you should probably not allow yourself to be interrupted, right? And conversely, things that are not urgent, but very important, those are the things that we really need to focus on, I think. And they, uh, you know, a great example would be, you know, deliverance. I, I have to work on, you know, finishing the campaign so that I can get the product printed and then eventually shipped to backers. And I promised a delivery date in August, or at least I planned for a delivery date in August, uh, which will probably get pushed back a little bit because of all the shipping and whatever that's happening. But that's something that if I don't do that now, nobody's really going to be upset. Like if I didn't, you know, I mean, I'm kind of in the middle of this move and I've let everybody know that's that's on my, uh, you know, that backed my game and whatnot, that, you know, there's going to be a little delay because I'm moving and really unable to work on, on the things that need working. But um, th- that type of thing, like communication and actually moving the ball forward, it's not going to get me in trouble right now if I don't work on it. When I will get in trouble is six months from now when people are like, hey, where's the thing? And then I tell people, oh, we just, you know, we haven't started printing it yet. <laughs> going to get in big trouble if that was the case. So, you know, certain things that are not urgent but important are really the things that you should be focusing on and moving the ball forward. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. Uh, in fact, one of the tools um, that I use, um, I'm a Mac user, so I got my MacBook, I got my iPad, I got my iPhone, I got my Apple Watch. We'll pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's funny. I used to, I used to be, you know, I used to be Windows, and no, I went back to Mac. PC master race. I figured you as a Linux person. I actually have a Linux computer on the side, but that's for mm-hmm. my my other stuff. That's that's the other woman, stuff. Da, 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 top serious, is upset. Uh, anyway, uh, the uh, software that I use is called Things Three, and it's it's a Mac only. That's why I was saying that it's it's Mac only. It's, you can't get on Android or or other systems or Windows. I love it because it syncs across all devices. It's great. But that's where I put my important tasks, either personal or work, in there. And then has I made categories, so like, I, it's cool because like there's like there's a button called today, and it shows up whenever you load it. It says today, and it shows you your important tasks at you need to do at work today, and then it shows under it my important tasks I need to get done at home. And I like it because it's everywhere with me. So like if I'm on the computer, I could pull it up, see what's going on. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm you know doing something else, I check my phone. It's there. It's on my watch. It's on my iPad. So it always reminds me that, you know, if, if I haven't got something done, it's a good reminder that I need to get something done. Um, but it also keeps everything in one place for me. So no matter where I am, traveling or at home or wherever, I have my task list with me. Yeah. So I also, I use notes a lot. Just like, you know, if I need if I need to write something down right away, I just, I've got an iPhone and I whip out the notes app real quick and I create a note. Notepad is my friend. Okay. Yeah. It's been really helpful for me when I have a great idea or whatever. If I need to write something down, that's just my friend. I would say at this point, my notes app is probably as important as my contacts list to transfer to a new phone. If I get a new phone it's and, and don't get those notes, it's like so much has, I have lost so much. It would be devastating. You probably should do it on, on Google Docs or something. So mm-hmm. if your phone dies and at least it's on the cloud and you can yeah, it's true. It. It's true. So. Well, no, notes is in the cloud now too, as long as you have it set right. up right. Okay. All yeah. my stuff transfers automatically, just like anything else. Also, with the new updates with the Mac OS, um, especially like on your iPad and and phone, you can swipe, and the notes will come up on anything. Like you're on a web page, you can swipe. Notes will come up. You can put notes in, and it'll mm-hmm. save it. It's pretty cool, mm-hmm. and it ties it to that page or ties it to whatever you're you're using. That's awesome. And you said you said Notepad, Sean. Notepad, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm Notepad plus plus when I'm on Windows. Yeah, it's just because it, it, it's so lightweight. It takes like virtually no processing power. So if you want to get a note down quickly, you hit Windows key mm-hmm. with my left thumb, and then I'm I'm typing. And I just yep. you search mm-hmm. Notepad, and then there we go. So yeah, I actually use Notepad for um, something that I erase every day. You know, just I open up a Notepad, I write notes that are important for myself that day, and then. Um, it's part of my process at the end of the day, I actually try to shut off my computer. And in order to shut off your computer, you need to have everything saved. But with Notepad, I know that I'm not going to save that document. Um, otherwise, I would just have Notepad like everywhere all over my desktop. And you know, I wouldn't have any idea what those files were. So what I do is I take a look at everything that I wrote down and I make sure everything is done or I transfer it to um, you know, my calendar you know, for mm. tomorrow or whatever. It's like Google Calendar is another tool that I use all the time. And that's kind of how <laughs> how I keep myself organized. It's like important stuff makes it to the calendar. And if, you know, if I can handle it right before the end of the day, uh, you know, I I try to not save that notepad, that notepad doc. Yep, yep. In fact, uh, my like I said, my, I work a little differently. I use notes for more like detailed information. But if I'm writing a note that requires some kind of action, there's like an inbox section on my to-do thing. I just dump it. I just say, I just type the action, hit the button, and it puts it in the inbox. And then later on, I actually sort those and determine where they go and how how important they are on a daily basis. And that works for me. 
the point is you have to develop your own system that works for you because we all just described our different systems. So yeah. it's really just figuring out a system that works for you. So Rick, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about your book list. What books are on that list that are influential in the way that you kind of operate? There's a lot. But like I said, uh, a lot of my books though, are management books because I used to be a manager for a long time. However, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that's a very common one. But here's one I found that's very nerdy called Leveling Up, How to Master the Game of Life. Uh, Wasn't that written by a pro gamer? And it's written, yeah, by Eric Siu. Siu, Shu. What's his Shoo. gamer name? I wouldn't have. Oh, I don't remember. Poe Daddy, one, three, three. <laughs> It's almost along the same process as you have goals and those are your, your quests, but you also have steps to make along the way and um, you plant your steps for your goal. And as you as you do your steps, uh, you level up. And so, so it's, a, it's a gamified version of life. One of my other I, like a lot of my books are like personal, but they also can be for business and a lot of them deal with tasks. So I'm really trying to get my tasks figured out and stuff. And in fact, one of the one ones I was laughing about is I there's a really good book um, called Finish. It says, give yourself the gift of done. So I'm very good at starting things, but I'm never good at ending things or, or completing things. I just keep coming. And I'm laughing because my finished book has not been finished yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like 78% read. It's mostly read, but it's not finished. <laughs> Maybe I'll finish that. <laughs> but I thought that was funny. Uh, John Acuff does a lot of these books. He actually has one that's called, I think it's called Start. Like he, he actually like, he has a book about creating, like taking your ideas and making actions. And then that did very well. And then of course he's like, well, <laughs> now we need to finish our actions. So that those are really good. Yeah, so I have a lot of books like that. Mostly are tasks, but they could also be work. You know, they, I use them for work as well. You know, that finish um, concept, I guess, it seems like that would be really relevant to a lot of people listening to this podcast because you've got a lot of people creating projects and trying to bring this idea to life for a number of reasons, um, you know, many of which is just because it's their baby, their first project, and they want to, you know, see it come to life. Um you know, a lot of the time I find with these types of projects, people tend to run around in circles and never quite never bring it into a place where it can get finished. It's almost like they're caught in the gravitational pull of a black hole or something. And they, you know, they keep flying, but they they're never able to fly out of that gravitational pull. And so they end up yeah. going in circles. And the concept isn't hard. In fact, there's another book called Grit, which is very similar. Grit is it's pretty much the premise is if you have something that you need to get done. If you work on it a little bit every day, you're going to get it done. What makes you, what separates you from everyone else is you actually work on it when you don't want to work mm -hmm. on it. Like if you just constantly do like something, build something or work on your game, you're going to get to a point where it's done, where everyone else starts and then they, when they get tired of it, they mm -hmm. give up. And that's the whole point of finish and also the point of grit is that, you know, if even if, you know, you, you may have had passion for it and you may have had a drop. But during that drop, if you still work on it, you're going to get to the end. And of course, I mean, how how excited were you, Andrew, when you when you got that got your deliverance on Kickstarter and saw, you know, how well it performed uh, after the 30 days? Yeah, I mean, that's huge, huge. But I'll, I'll say that the temptation is just to keep iterating on the gameplay. And, uh, you know, for me, when I I mean, it's one of my favorite things to do is to kind of theory craft and make new angels and new you know, character abilities and other things like that. And I mean, that's what I consider fun, you know, as, as, you know, I mean, I feel like I could design a hundred expansions in a, in a month, you know, just with ideas, but it's the kind of putting all of this into 
a completed package, which is the part that I found difficult. You know, that's what my, you know, it'd be my frog would be doing things like, okay, I created the the abilities and, and whatnot. I need to get the tokens, you know, printed. And so all of those tokens have to be placed on a cardboard sheet of, you know, just to get punched out. Right. And so I have to design the, the cardboard sheet in like the most optimal way so that I can fit all of my tokens on the fewest amount of sheets possible so that the game is affordable to, to print out. And that's the type of thing that is not fun, but is necessary in order to actually move the ball forward. So things like that. Yeah. In fact, uh, I, I do a lot of uh, niche website building on, as a side hobby. And I have a lot of friends in that field who, who build niches and do affiliate marketing with them. And a one, one of my friends um, was got, got excited. He, he's like, had this topic that he wanted to write about and make a blog about. I got real excited about it. And a month in, he was doing great. And after a month, he was just tired of it. He didn't want to write any more content about this, this product and, or service and, and topic. And he said, he, he told me, he's like, you know what? I, I was tired, but I just told myself, if I can just write an article a day during the work, you know, during like each, you know, five, five a week or whatever, um, he's all, it'll, it'll, it'll pay itself off. So he set aside, you know, even though he was tired of it, he set aside, you know, 30 minutes to an hour a day just to do work, do add content to his site. And after one, he's all, my goal was just to do it for the rest of the year. So this was 2021 at the end of 2021, his little website that he didn't, I mean, he, he put time into it, but he didn't really put money. Like he didn't cost him much. It was just a little website, but the act of him working that 30 minutes extra every day now brings in, um, I believe it was like $2,500 a month right now with him not doing any more work. So literally that small investment of time that he did that he didn't want to do if he quit, he would have got nothing. But now he's making $2,500 every single month as a result from the work he did that year. That's amazing. Cool. Yeah. Little things like that. I find, you know, even in my own game design effort, you know, Deliverance made over $300,000. And, you know, in, in other circumstances, it might be enough for somebody to actually go full time and try to make a business out of their product, you know. But I find that whenever something becomes work, and is is not like a fun hobby or a passion project. It becomes something that it's it's like there's this weird block that I have to to doing it. It's like okay, now I need to get prepared to do this, you know. Versus like my day job or whatever, doing marketing stuff. It's it's um you know, deliverance has kind of in in a way become like a day job where it's something that I need to devote time to, and you know, it's it's not quite as fun as when it was just like an indie idea that i was creating and and he did have deadlines with people demanding content at a certain time right right so it's kind of funny you know just to to see but i'll say one thing is that if something makes enough money you will become passionate about it right i mean if if the thing that you're doing is very successful you're gonna like you're gonna find a reason to be passionate about it like for example rick your friend that that had that website that he was you know writing an article a day i bet it's not quite as boring and annoying to him now right and he sees value no like i said now it's a passive income for him he's actually started another site um he had plans to start another site but he wanted to hold off until he got his goal done which he did and it's it's one for him in many different ways. First of all, the site itself is making money. He's getting passive income every month, and he doesn't have to put any more articles up. So he's done running articles for it. He's making a month. He's pretty much getting his dividends. 
but also he 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 logged he 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 logged or vlogged everything he did in a in a, in a, a YouTube video. So each month he'd give updates to everyone. Well, people of course saw what he did and saw the results at the end, and loved so much. Now they're asking him for his advice, and they're paying him, mm-hmm. you know, to to mentor them and 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 do things. So now he's so it actually opened up other opportunities as we well. This guy, by, you know, complete the project. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> awesome. sounds sounds like a cool story. Yeah, but yeah. So just one thing, you know, can like I said, just doing the work separates you from everyone yeah. else. So people will consider you if you do the work every day. People over time are going to consider you an expert because you've done the work. It's not because you're super smart or whatever. You just did the work. And so, of course, you become the guru and they want to know how you did it when really all it is is do the work. Yeah, I think (laughs) that, um, you know, the, the, the adage between talent and hard work, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That's what it that's what it is. If you know, if you have talent and you've got a natural gift for something, but you don't work hard, you're just kind of wasting your potential. So I, I think that's totally worth thinking about. So I have two books. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad is on my list, but not because it was a great book. It's because Robert Kiyosaki made his money by selling Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I think that's hilarious because he's like the financial guru, but really he's actually just a book sales guru, which I thought was hilarious. He, it's not like he made his money in so finance. I've never read this book. So do you want to give a brief synopsis to people like myself who are unfamiliar with the title? Sure. As uh, Robert Kiyosaki was growing up, he had his his dad as a mentor. And then also he had a friend who had, you know, his friend's dad was very wealthy and very successful. While Robert Kiyosaki's dad was was very poor. So you've got Robert Kiyosaki's dad was the poor dad. And then his Robert's friend his friend's dad was the rich dad and he looked at the habits of his poor dad versus the habits of his rich dad or the rich dad in his life. And, you know, just kind of contrasted their mindsets and their um, habits and other things like that. So in general, you know, the rich dad's positive, the poor dad's negative, the rich dad plans and the poor dad doesn't, he just kind of lets life happen to him. Um, The rich dad, uh, runs a business and the poor dad uh, works a job, you know, and other things like that. So, you know, it was an interesting book, but I find, you know, in some cases, in fact, in a lot of cases with business books, you can really get into a situation where it just sounds like, oh yeah, that's like amazing. Like another book on my list is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And we should totally talk about that one. But um, you have these weird romanticized versions of, of things like there's there's another book that is not on my list, but it was um, I can't remember what it was. But there was a guy who was basically selling an airport and he was selling an airport in Los Angeles and, you know, the idea of an airport. And if he wins the bid, he gets the right to go raise like a billion dollars from investors to, you know, build an airport. And it's like, how many of us are really in a situation like that where we're trying to sell an airport and uh, and raise a billion dollars from investors and this and that? And he's talking about, you know, it was a sales book and he's talking about, you know, these these types of frames that he uses to, to you know, I don't know. It's just it just felt like it's not very applicable to my life. You know, <laughs> a lot of a lot of these books are that way. And so I kind of look at Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a little bit of a romanticized version of the truth. And so it's not one of my top books, you know, for that reason. But it's a book that I take some serious lessons from. 
Would you recommend people read it? You know, if you've got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to burn your money. <laughs> yeah. It's not that bad. If you actually look between the fluff of the book, it actually has some good points. You know, in fact, like <clears throat> pretty much, you know, everything's either an asset or a liability. And the book is, is to pretty much to figure out mm-hmm. some people think that some liabilities are mm-hmm. assets. And so they're treating them as assets when they're actually liabilities. Yep, like my new house with its fat yeah. mortgage, you know, where I'm, it's like, yeah. oh, cool. I've got this this great asset that I'm having to pay for. <laughs> I don't understand. Yes. And then now you also have to pay for insurance. And uh, um, is there I know there's no. There's property tax in Texas, but I know there's no income tax, but there's property That's tax. That's right. right. Higher property taxes. Or, there's no income tax? What is the place? Paradise? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, you know, living in California, I had so many kids that um, I just got rebates, you know, at the end of the year for, you know, the tax rebates. It's like <laughs> six kids is basically the equivalent of like $10,000 in tax. Just, just, you know, in fact, it's more. It's like, well, it used to be 2000 a kid and now it's 3600 for kids under five or five and under, and then $3,000 a piece for kids over, you know, over that. There is a book that is uh, by Robert Kiyosaki that I found quite useful, uh, really useful to think about as, you know, in, in certain ways. It's called the cash flow quadrant, and it divides all tasks into, or rather all, I don't know, roles uh, that you could have like in your work life into four different, you know, boxes. You've got, you know, on the left hand side, you've got the employee and, you know, in the top left and then the self-employed in the bottom left in the top right, you've got business owner and the bottom right, you've got investor. And his recommendation is basically to be on the right side of the, of the, um, the spectrum where you've got your, you're a quote unquote, a business owner or an investor. He, you know, disparages the idea of being an employee or being self-employed. I think, you know, in cash flow quadrant. And I, I actually think, you know, there are certain things I've learned are being an employee, you can make a lot more money th- like and, and a lot more consistent and guaranteed money than you can being self-employed. A lot of people, you know, are are just it's not I don't know, it's it's tough. Like business is tough. And to, you know, you can do pretty well as an employee, but, um, I don't know, like the, for the context of this book, it's more about like the mindset. Really the key for this book is like being self-employed versus a business owner. That's, that's where all of the, you know, and then he, he talks trash about being an employee, but it's really self being self-employed versus being a quote unquote business owner. So the idea is that a lot of the time people will say, Oh, I have an idea. I have a dream. And then, and then you know, they, they jump full bore into that dream. A lot of crowdfunding people do it this way too, where they're like, uh, you know, I have this idea and they come up with something cool and make $314,000 on it. And they're like, great, now what? And you, you know, the, the idea behind being a business owner is that your income, it does not depend on the, your active work. So like if you, whether or not you work today, you're going to make money. Um, is and that's what being a business owner is kind of defined as in in the book. And then being self-employed is like, you know, let's let's say you're a a plumber or something. Like you you make money when you fix leaky faucets and replace hot water heaters and stuff like that. But if you are not, you know, doing that, then you're not making money. So the idea is, you know, you're trading time for money 
even though you own your own business, it's more like the business owns you because you're still trading your time for money. It's just like your boss is yourself. Your, your boss or your clients. Or right. Your boss is your clients. Exactly. And then business owners like, you know, romanticized again, but it's like, hey, you know, I've got employees and I'm making money because they're working and I'm not, you know. Which is, which is fine if you, if you enjoy what you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're happy about what you do, then you do it. But uh, this book should have been, I think this book should have been the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. Um, I think it was the afterthought of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad that I got published next. But also um, the cash flow quadrant also talks about your investment. So for example, like like Andrew said, there's the four boxes. So the first box is employee. And it means you have a job, you're working for someone else. So that's me. I'm an employee. I work for Andrew. And it shows the cost. The cost is your time. So you are sacrificing your time to make money. Um, the next box, which is self-employed, is the same thing. Uh, self-employed is like not much difference. You own the job, but guess what? You have to put your time in it to make the money. And then, of course, Andrew's saying the right boxes are the ones you want to be in. So you have business. If you're a business owner. You own a system. You hire people to do the system for you, and you make more money. So your cost is hiring people but you can make more money because it's a system and you can do it faster and do it with more resources. And then the final box is investor where you own investments and these two work hand in hand. So if you're not working, you're paying someone else to work and you're making more money or more money because of that, you can use that money and your time to invest in other things and make even more money. So the idea is you, you know, pretty much once you have a system down, you pay someone else to the system that frees up your time and then you take those profits and invest them for more profits. Is there a button that you can press to become a business owner? Like just where's, show me where the button is. Become a private banker and then charge people yeah. interest for creating mortgages out of nothing. <laughs> I think the major issue is, is a lot of people do become self-employed. And it's the idea, I think from going from self-employed to pulling yourself out of the self-employment and becoming just yeah. the investor, the business owner is a difficult yeah. challenge. You've talked about how like, you know, there's people who want to talk to you. Right. It's like, you know, cause you started the business, even though we you have other people that work for you that do the work, they want to talk to you. It's all about you and they want to direct deal directly with you only. Yes. In fact, we had a recent experience. Talk about firsthand experience. So uh, yesterday, as at the time of this recording, um, we have a client that has his, you know, I've, I, I, I remember I was on a vacation like four years ago and they called me on this vacation and I answered the phone with somebody, you know, from the New England area. And they were like, Hey, I found you online and I want you to do marketing work for me and build me a website and that kind of thing. And so we did. And it was, um, you know, just a, a client that was used to dealing with me. I kind of passed her off to um, one of my employees who was like the web developer at the time. And he was with, his name is Blake. He was with me for about three years. And then eventually he kind of moved, well, he, he moved on and I needed to keep serve, serving um, this client. And so I took her on. And from that moment on, she was like, I'm not dealing with anyone else, but you, you're the, you're the guy. Like if I need a thing, if I need to spend, if I need to spend three hours on something, then you're the one that is going to, you know, spend or that I'm going to spend that time with. And it kind of, for me, came to a, um, I came to a realization yesterday. It was while, while she was yelling at me on the phone um, for something, I was like, you know, I just cannot give this person 
the customer service that they deserve as a client. So the the option is number one, I you know bring in Richard and Richard is you know her her project manager and and that kind of thing. Um, or we lose her as a client because she who shall remain nameless was basically it was just something that I couldn't handle anymore. And uh, you know as I you know in in my own role in the company, which we'll talk about in the the e myth. You know we've got the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur or the visionary are, di- are three different roles that are defined in that book. It's getting harder and harder for me to be the technician in in every aspect. You know, I still uh, am the technician in a lot of ways, you know, with certain elements, like if, you know, I need to step into ads or whatever, that's, you know, something I can do. But there are just too many things to, you know, to do that are that are on my plate to have individual clients taking, you know, three hours of my day, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, really and I, difficult. I suppose you've got to draw the line at shouting as well. Like you can't have <laughs> yeah. clients screaming at you. Like you've got to say, okay, yep. you know, we have to do something about this. Which leads to the book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> great read. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it's it's funny. I do, I, I personally still have, um, I was diagnosed with cancer uh, almost 10 years oh, ago. It's now. such a crazy thing. And okay. 11 years now, 10 or 11 years. Anyway, um, my anxiety since then has gone through the roof, um, off and on in phases. So uh, sometimes I, I get very anxious and can't, you know, do things. And sometimes I'm fine. One of the books I read was don't sweat the small stuff. And it, it's got a lot of, you know, cute little stories in there about things that, that go on. It's, it's almost like reading like a, uh, like a daily, uh, what do you call it? Like a, our daily bread or like daily devotional scripture. It's like, yeah, devotional is like a story. And then there's a, a moral and, and, um, but the one thing is once, once I had the cancer, like other things that I thought were like important and crazy and urgent didn't seem that, yeah. that anymore. <laughs> it's like, eh, I may die. Yeah. <laughs> How is this going to affect me if I die? Oh yeah. It's not that important. Mm-hmm. So my look on things changed a lot during those years because I mean, if you like, I mean, that's maybe one thing you may want to look at is mm-hmm. say, Hey, if I'm not here in a month, is this really important? Yeah. You know, and that can really change the way you look at things from a point of view in things like that. And if it's so if if you if you're like, okay, if it's not that important, I shouldn't be stressing about out about yeah. it. Or if it's something you can't change. You know, sometimes we, we often stress about things which are out of our control. Yeah. And stressing over it doesn't actually change the circumstance. So it's really just trying to recognize yeah. I can't I can't change this thing. So why stress about it? I was gonna say from the best business book on my list, who by worrying can add one cubit to his or her stature. But there's, um, I think the the book, the book of Proverbs, has some great business advice because yeah. it was written by one of the wealthiest people who ever lived, King Solomon, yeah. and it's written for young young men or people who are going to go into the world and get into commerce and then provide for families. So um, there's some great sort of just practical advice in the book of Proverbs, or even Ecclesiastes about you know the the guy who had everything, and yeah. he you know he went ahead and spent his money on everything and still didn't. You know, over time, it didn't fulfill. Yeah, you know, it's that's a really, really interesting book. Ecclesiastes is, uh, yeah, to to kind of give people the backstory, if you're not familiar with that book, it's written by Solomon, who was one of the richest men ever to live. It said in um, elsewhere, it says that silver became so common, it was like trash. 
um, in in his kingdom. They had some serious money and wealth, uh, you know, but his ability to judge what is right and wrong just so happened to make him the, the wisest man ever to live, right? He was even a consultant for the Queen of Sheba. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and his conclusion was that everything is vanity. It's actually quite a negative uh, conclusion is that everything is vanity. He's a nihilist. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's exactly. Everything is yeah. dust. It's like, you know, the, the conclusion is, you know, why do you, why do you purchase what you can't eat and spend money on what you can't drink. And, uh, you know, you should just spend the days of your youth with your, your, with, uh, or spend your days with the wife of your youth and, you know, enjoy all the days of vanity, which you have to live under the sun. You know, it's like, that's, I guess, a interesting. Yeah, he yeah. talks about youth a lot. And I feel like I've already passed the youth yeah. point. So I'm, 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 I'm sort of in trouble here. Um, cause he says, to, you know, enjoy the day. He says to enjoy the days of your youth. And I think my youth, ran away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think youth doesn't run away until you've had at least one kid. Then it's like, you're getting sucked. You're getting your life essence sucked out by a necromancer. It's like the, when a kid gets you up early in the morning and, and you can't, you can no longer sleep. And that oh my goodness. Thing. And then they work, they always seem to work in tandem. It's like they double tag you. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. I, one time I actually had a client that ran a really cool company. And uh, I was, I saw, I went into his office, really, really well to do client, we'll say. And uh, I went to their office and I saw their desk, really nice ornate desk with pictures on it of their family and everything like that. And I saw this little kid and I'm like, oh, cool. Is this your grandson? He's like, no, that's Whoa. my child. I'm just like, oh, oh. that guy stayed with me as a client for like three years. Um, and <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, he's somehow he signed the contract at, at that meeting. Probably one of the most embarrassing things I've ever said to, to to a client. So let's talk about books. I have this this one that I really want to get to, which is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Do you guys have you guys read this? Mm -hmm. This is a really great book to read. I would highly recommend this. And it is a little bit of a romanticized like the example used. I'm not sure that this is a real situation or not, but basically the story goes there's a, a lady that owns a, I don't know, I was seriously going to say a bread factory. She owns a bakery and she works like 12 hour days or 14 hour days. And she basically is just barely, barely making it. And she has to work these crazy long hours and she's missing out on her family as and her kids are growing up and she's just miserable. And, you know, it uses this story as an ex and and kind of her progression into success you know alongside business examples and and commentary so the e myth is the myth of the entrepreneur so the idea is that you uh, one day get bitten by this mosquito and you're or or some other bug and you're inflicted with a disease called entrepreneurship and you decide to start a business or you know launch a kickstarter or something like that and then the disease fades from you and you're stuck in this position where you've launched a Kickstarter or a business and now have to fulfill it or, you know, make it successful. You're like, what in the world happened? You know, how did I get stuck here? So you have three different, uh, we'll say roles that need to be fulfilled within, um, that, uh, business, which is number one, the technician, that would be the person who works on, in the day to day, of the business. So 
Uh, then you've got the manager, the person that keeps to time and that keeps things organized on track and keeps people productive. And then you've got the visionary, the person who sets the vision and is the quote unquote entrepreneur, right? <laughs> uh, getting that, whatever that meme is. Um, Aliens. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the visionary is the person who sets the direction of the company. So, you know, what kind of company do you want to be? What do you want to, you know, what, what do you want to accomplish? You know, what, um, you know, and, and things like that. All three roles are quite important. And if you focus too much on any one of the roles and neglect the others, you will run into problems. And so certain people love, absolutely love to fit into the role of the technician where they do the day-to-day -day work. This would be, you know, the self-employed, you know, to use the cash flow quadrants, the self-employed person that's, you know, turning a wrench for money or whatever it is, right? Um, they like to do that. What they have a problem doing is getting to a point where they have, you know, uh, 10 employees that are turning wrenches and they're, you know, doing management from the back end or whatever, right? So th this book actually was quite influential on me because it just showed me the value of number one, each of the three roles and the importance of kind of balancing your, um, your effort and, you know, across the three different roles. I would say that it was quite practical. The, the, I don't know, advice or whatever you would call it. It was a very useful book as far as, you know, trying to run a business and, and to manage a Kickstarter and, and everything like that. It's, it's constantly referring back to it in my mind. Check out the affiliate link in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by Michael E. Gerber. We are out of time for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. Woo, woo, woo. If you enjoyed this week's episode and want to listen to some other ones, visit us at our website at crowdfundingnerds.com. See you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.